Pleasure to be gathered together in church this morning, and I have uh, thoroughly been thoroughly enjoying the Proverbs series uh, as we uh, continue. And there's a quite a bit more to go to glean from Proverbs. Um, today we are looking at Proverbs 15:1 to 4, uh, and it is the partner of last week's sermon. Uh, last week's sermon was receiving uh, criticism, being teachable, receiving. Heeding instruction was the title of the sermon. Having a humble enough heart to hear uh, when people correct us and being teachable uh, with the expectation that we have not arrived, that we have a long way to go, that we continue to grow as people. And this week we're talking about how we use our tongues. And it's looking at the other side of it is not just giving instruction to others, but the ways that we speak to each other and how that affects how that affects us. We're going to use Proverbs 15, 1-4 as our guide through this sermon. And the title of the sermon is The Path of Speaking with Wisdom. But uh, I want to use, I had a number of options for illustrations for the sermon. And I'd like to use what is considered by some the greatest speech given uh, in the United States. Uh, about the United States and about freedom. Uh, that would be the, the speech that that Abraham Lincoln gave um, in Gettysburg after that, uh, that battle. In 1863, our country was in the heart of a civil war. Our 87-year-old country, this, this dream of capitalism, this dream of democracy, this dream of freedom was at its worst risk to date. There was a whole bunch of states that didn't want to be part of the Union anymore. And they were breaking apart, and the country seems to be pulling it apart. And Abraham Lincoln gave a speech after one of the bloodiest battles of the war, in, uh, where 51,000 soldiers died on the 1st through the 3rd of uh, 1863. Uh, that battle took place. And then later on in, uh, in November, Abraham Lincoln was asked as an afterthought to speak in Gettysburg to dedicate this, what would now become a cemetery, a memorial to this battle. Uh, He wasn't the first choice. There was another who who was chosen to teach, an orator that was favored in his time, a man named Edward Everett. He was at one point the president of Harvard, uh, or the dean of Harvard, I think. I might might have misspoken there. And and he was probably the, the, the most sought-after orator of his time. People wanted him to come and, and, and put a, a, a signature speech together that would capsulize why these 51,000 people died and what can we make of it. And after planning the event, they decided to invite Abraham Lincoln too, who wasn't terribly popular at the time. His, uh, he was not like how we view him now. He makes like the top one or two on every list of the most popular or famous or important presidents that we've ever been in the United States. This speech that he gave was two minutes. Edward Everett gave a speech that was two hours. Edward Everett spoke for two hours trying to capsulize the importance, and, and I know that this is going to be a setup for some, Paul, I'm looking at you, to mock me that I could give sermons in two minutes that were as powerful as a sermon that I give in 40 minutes. 
but I'm going to steal your thunder by already saying that that's a lob that you can use and use it how you will after the service. But Abraham Lincoln got up and gave uh, in two minutes what has become, uh, and, and partly its importance is because of its time. The season of where our country was at such, such great risk that it seemed to be all falling apart, that people were losing hope. What was the country going to look like three, four, five years from now? What country were we going to leave for our children? Is the American experience over? Is the experiment failed? And Abraham Lincoln, with one speech, rallied the nation and really rallies the nation still. Doesn't take long to read it. Look it up online. About two minutes to read it. And it's one of the most clear statements on what freedom and capitalism and democracy should be and what we can hope to be. I use this as our example today because I want you to know that words matter. What led to the Civil War? Tons of words. Words, words, words. People getting more and more ramped up. People getting frustrated. People getting angry. And people taking angry words and matching them with angry words. Maybe the, the, the mood in the room in Washington, D.C. Uh, was at this point, which is already keyed up, and somebody says something that incites other people to more anger. Uh, how do you destroy a marriage? How do, you destroy a, how do you destroy a country? How do you destroy a friendship? How do you destroy a church? With matching angry words for angry words and ramping up, are there words of peace? Are there words of true knowledge? Are there words of life? The goal of this passage and this sermon is to encourage us to speak with wisdom, meaning that we're bringing life and hope and love. Proverbs 15, 1 to 4, let's read it together, and we'll refer back to those words by Abraham Lincoln before we're done. Proverbs 15, beginning in verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. But the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. From this passage, we're going to be not just considering what is the path of wisdom. I have uh, been a guy who is involved in church leadership for over 30 years now. I am a guy that became a pastor late in life, 49 years old to 50 years old. I planted a church, and I moved from construction as my primary business into being a pastor. And I can tell you that God gave me just joyful seasons of unity and love and peace as we built this church, and, and people band together, and every year we grew, and every year the giving went up, and every year seemed Wonderful until 2019. What happened in 2019? Anybody have any idea? In 2019, the temperature in our country went up, I don't know, 20 degrees. 
And every conversation was heated before it began. In 2019 and 2020, as we moved into 2020, I was out of the country when on Friday, Dr. Norbeck and I had a discussion. We said, we will not close our church. And on Saturday, we said, we have to close our church. And that March of 2020, we stopped meeting as a church. That was so frustrating for me as a pastor. And as we had discussions about it, I'm, I'm, as I recall back, and I'm doing sermons by the side of a river videoing it, Jeannie's videoing me, and I'm preaching to geese. <laughs> it was funny. I mean, one of the funniest moments, I was actually at the end of my sermon, and a, a, a bird dove towards my head. I must have been standing too close to it, so I found some spot in the wild, and the, the Petronellas were filming the, uh, the announcements the next week, and they, they mocked me by, while in the middle of the announcements, they did a, a bloopers one. I never showed it to you. I don't know if we still have it, but they, if you have it, we need to show it at some point up front. But during the announcements, they have a bird come in that, that's on a stick with a, uh, while they're on the couch, and it didn't make the cut, and I didn't show it, but I laughed. It was good. It was a good season to laugh. But the funny, the interesting thing that happened, and I, and I don't want to take you back there to revisit it because it's painful, I want to go back and consider how can we do this better? How can we handle pressure and stress in relationships? How can we handle pressure and stress in conversations more redemptively? For me, um, for the first time, I'm a guy that believes if with friends, and with family and with church, when it's healthy, we can get everything on the table and it's all going to work out. For the first time, I was saying, we can't get everything on the table. We can't handle even talking about this stuff right now. I would, when we started gathering back together, months later, we started outside and then we came in here and this room was big enough for us to separate. We had been carved in half as a church. What happened? How did we get carved in half in that amount of time? And people are sitting next to each other. One person is adamantly for masks. And they're sitting three chairs or four chairs away from someone who I know is adamantly, why do I use the word adamantly? Angry against masks. And then comes the, the shots. And now we're sitting next to people that are so pro-shots. This is going to heal it all, and we're going to be cured of COVID. And then there's people that are adamantly against shots. It's government trying to take advantage. And there is just angry talk everywhere. A soft answer turns away wrath. Soft answers were at a premium. Online, on YouTube on Facebook, in families. It divided families. These discussions about masks and other things, I mean, it was just a season, no matter what the subject was, the conversation started hot. You know what I mean? You remember? What was at risk? Well, our unity and our families, our friendships were at risk. 
We no longer could. We went from 2018 where we could discuss something political or something medical or something, and it didn't have all that heat in it. And we could discuss it on a disagree and still remember that we loved each other and value what we value, which is healthy church and healthy family. People wanted to know during COVID, Todd, why did you not preach on these subjects? I did. You know what I preached? Get along with your neighbor. The person sitting next to you is adamantly against what you agree with. Show love for the sake of Christ. Show grace for the sake of Christ. The hardest thing for me in all of what happened to our country is what happened to our churches. That was the hardest thing for me because I think the way we acted wasn't very Christian at times. I think the heat with which we spoke wasn't healthy. Well, now we've moved on, and that's the history. Todd, why are you bringing it up? Why are you bringing up old battles? Because honestly, we have a chance to look at how do we handle our tongues in a redemptive way? How do we give a speech like Lincoln that can make a difference instead of just feeling like we're being washed over like waves by the anger and frustration of our neighbors? Can we speak peace? The path of speaking with wisdom is first the path of speaking peace. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This is a common verse in my household because when I saw the anger and frustration between my children, we plastered this verse on their mirrors, we plastered this verse on the door, we wanted them to remember that a gentle word can break the anger. It can distill, it can, it can, it can make the conversation redemptive. When we're all keyed up, where's the redemption? A gentle or a soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word turns away anger. Let's look at some other verses that go along with this. In verse 11, in verse 12, chapter 11, verse 12, it says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. I put that verse in here because I want you to know that there are some conversations that silence is the right choice. Not saying anything is the right choice. And I'm not trying to argue that introverts are better than extroverts here. I'm trying to say that there are some times that wisdom requires us to see that there's nothing redemptive happening right now. We need to stop. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. You know, when you're in the middle of it, you just want to fight back, and they've said something that has incited you, whoever they are, can you bring it back to peace? Sometimes silence is correct, but a man of understanding remains silent. Chapter 12 and verse 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Did you know that your rash words, for those of you who speak with anger and frustration, and I'm not saying it's wrong to speak angry at times. There is a time to speak angry, but there is a time to stop speaking angry. And there's a time to bring peace. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. What does that mean? Um, I don't know if I need to explain this to you. Have you seen it? 
Have you seen a child crushed by a parent? Have you seen a parishioner crushed by a pastor with harsh words? Harsh words, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me, or never, whatever that is. Baloney. Harsh words start wars. Harsh words break families. Mean words break trust. We are called to speak with wisdom. Chapter 21, verse 23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. What does it mean to keep your mouth and your tongue? It means that you maintain control. The tongue is the first thing to be loosed when we lose control. Let me make that personal. The tongue is the first thing that I lose control of when I lose control. And I start using it as a weapon. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. What kind of trouble? <laughs> Lots of trouble. Trouble with your work, trouble with your home, trouble with your country. Our whole country couldn't keep its tongue. Our whole country went through a season and the church adopted the plan. We will not keep control of our tongues. We are going to stay ramped up and we are going to use our tongues to keep things ramped up. Is there someone in that broken relationship, in that broken workplace, in that broken church, in that broken country who can speak wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, first it's speaking peace because no one's going to hear you until you can speak peace. Whatever think you're getting, you think you're getting across when you're yelling and screaming, you're not getting it across. You're not winning like you think you're winning. It's bullying. And I have been guilty of it. Chapter 22, verse 10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. I picked chapter 22 and verse 10 and you'll see in your bulletin, I'm going to send you home with these verses and more, some that, I, that didn't make the cut. Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. I want you to know that there comes a time, there is a season in your workplace when you actually need to remove the person who's causing the strife. There is a time you have to stop letting them do what they're doing. In other words, there's a time when someone won't listen to reason that the best thing for that, and I can't imagine this in church, I'm not saying that I would ever say to somebody they can't come to church. I don't feel like I can say that. But what I can say is I'm not inviting you into the inner circle where you can wreak havoc because you can't control your tongue. Because you can't control your emotions. Because you can't give love. So I want you to know that wisdom says there is a time to drive out a scoffer. No one should be driven from church, but they may want to be driven, like maybe don't invite Uncle Al to Christmas next year if Uncle Al is ruining Christmas. Chapter 26, verse 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. This is just an affirmation that don't keep the heat at the same level. 
If someone's deciding that they're going to win by bullying, don't out-bully a bully. It doesn't work. Choose peace or move out of the conversation. Come back when it's calmer. I love chapter 26, verses 20 to 21. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. There are people that are starting fires everywhere they go. In fact, in some ways, I think there are people that aren't happy until they get people upset. And how do they do it? Their words. What could Abraham Lincoln have said on that day in November when our world was, when our country was hanging on by a thread? What could he have said to ruin our country? A thousand things. What could he have said to heal our country? God gave him a two-minute speech that is unlike any other that I've ever heard by a president. Where he is declaring the hope of what we're fighting for. May God give us words of peace that heal marriages, that heal churches, that heal friendships, and stop with the tearing down. It's like a fire. In Proverbs 30, 32 to 33, if you have been foolish exalting yourself and if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. For pressing milk produces curds and pressing the nose produces blood and pressing anger produces strife. If you have a problem, own it and shut up. Am I allowed to say that from the front? Shut the flow up and find peace in your heart to deliver to the ones you love. Wisdom with your tongue begins with the path of speaking peace. The second point is the path of speaking knowledge. Speaking knowledge, I want you to know first that peace is the how we do it. It does not mean that you don't tell the truth. It doesn't mean you devoid conflict. It means you bring the temperature down with your tone and with your words, that you try to restore peace so that you can actually have a conversation that leads to knowledge. And then, once we've spoken with peace, we can speak with knowledge. And I want you to know that as I'm saying this, I'm not suggesting that... There isn't the time to speak harshly. There is. Jesus spoke harshly. After three years of watching the Pharisees pull people away from God, he spoke harshly. There is a time to speak harshly. But it's rare. You have to ask if you actually love people, what, is, what am I accomplishing and what am I doing to the other person? I might get that kid to do their homework, but honestly, I might lose the war. I might lose my relationship with them and my trust with them. The path of speaking knowledge is now that we have the opportunity where people are listening, we have the chance to speak something of value. The passage in verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge 
but mouths of fools pour out folly. I have many friends that I watched and listened to during COVID and, 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 and myself, and honestly, I acted poorly and spoke poorly many times. And usually what the argument was is, this truth that I have needs to be spoken. And I want you to know that you can speak gently and speak truth at the same time. I actually think that's how God speaks to us most of the time. I promise you, if God wanted to speak harshly to you and me, we'd know it. But he speaks through gentle winds. Why won't we? So knowledge is incredibly important. And speaking of the wise commends knowledge, which means we're looking for knowledge. I would also argue that commending knowledge doesn't imply that I have a storehouse of knowledge and all of you are ignorant and I'm going to now give you this storehouse of knowledge. I don't think that's what we're talking about here. I think the tongue of the wise commends finding knowledge. In our Friday Bible study, our, our young couples, although they give me a hard time when I call, call them young, it's my perspective. The young couples uh, Bible study, we were talking about what's the goal of an argument? Is it to win and be right, or is it to actually find what's right and find truth? The goal of the wise tongue commends truth. And the idea that we're going to find that together. It's a very humble position. Not that I am the gatekeeper of truth alone, but as we get together from, as a church, my expectation is that truth is found in the community when we listen to each other and when we grow together and we walk with Christ together. I come away from small group or from church encouraged, challenged. I don't feel like I've figured it out and I have this knowledge like I'm the gatekeeper of it. I feel like conversations, when God is part of them and when peace is part of them, give us the opportunity to actually move towards knowledge, towards understanding, towards spiritual understanding. And we press each other as good friends do. But the mouths of fools pours out folly. What kind of folly? I would argue that the mouths of fools only want to be right. Only want their opinion to be heard. Don't care if anybody else's opinion is heard. They, just, they are not even listening when the other person is talking. They're formulating what they're going to say so they can look smart. And I would put that under the mouths of fools, pour out folly. You're not listening. You're not humbly coming looking for truth. What would it have been like if we could go back in 2020 and we could come together as a church and say, oh Lord, our hearts are broken because our church is broken. Because we can't even get along with each other. Help us. How do you imagine God would respond to that? Proverbs 12, 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. First thing I want you to see from Proverbs 12, 23 is that just because you know the right thing to say doesn't mean you're supposed to say it. Just because you're convinced you know what's right does not mean that gives you license to tell everybody what you think. You have to go one step further and ask, is this helpful? Is this the right time? Is this the right place? 
A prudent man conceals knowledge. I don't think that's for long. I think it means there's time that you hold back and don't say everything you think and everything you know. The heart of a fool proclaims folly. That means he just keeps chattering on. Proverbs 14, 6 through 7. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Do you know when to exit a conversation? Do you know when a conversation isn't healthy anymore? It was at an elder meeting in the summer of 2020 that I realized I'm part of the problem. I was ramped up. I was talking frustrated. My fears and frustrations about how the church had gone were starting to bubble over. And I was no longer part of the solution. I was part of the problem. And I actually thought, I'm playing the fool. I'm playing the scoffer. My job is now to shut up and stop talking because there's something going on in my heart that isn't redemptive. I can't talk about this yet. But what I can talk about is that the gospel is worth fighting for and we come together for something more important than masks and shots. We come together for the cure of all humanity and the eternity of people's souls and the love of Jesus Christ. And that's so far, what unites us is so much more important than what divides us. Can we acknowledge that when we can't talk? Verse seven, chapter 17, verse 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, but he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. I think this is where cool came from back in the 60s. He has a cool spirit. This is Fonzarellian, spiritually speaking. Whoever restrains his word has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Who among us can bring peace? Who among us brings peace at home Brings peace to friendships. Restores. Who, who among us is with a friend and the friend is ramped up saying how hurt they are over what another friend has done and who among us brings peace to that conversation? Oh, that person loves you. They didn't mean that. They're frustrated. Are we peacemakers speaking a knowledge that's redemptive are we saying, yep, he's an idiot? I got news for you. I think all of us play the part of the idiot in conversations at some point, don't we? Or am I the only one? Am I allowed to say idiot? <laughs> I should be asking Dan. He's over you now. Dan, am I allowed to say idiot? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it's already said, so we're done. <laughs> Chapter 18, verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I'm sorry to admit that this has been a common flaw of mine. I find myself not listening and thinking of my opinion and gathering my opinion so that I can sound smart. And I think that wisdom would tell you you're not smart when you're doing that. Your opinion... One person challenged me maybe 12 years ago or 13 years ago. Are you satisfied if somebody else delivers the truth even though you know it? And I have learned to trust that comment as wisdom. 
Wait for someone else to speak. Don't just blather on. A fool takes no pleasure in actually understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. His opinion becomes the most important thing he's defending in the conversation. And I'm not using the uh, male pronoun completely innocently. Because I think men love their opinions sometimes more than women do. It's generalization. Proverbs 18, 6 through 7. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his rune and his lips are a snare to his soul. How many stories we could tell of people that have said the absolute wrong thing that they can't take back. Crushing their spouse, crushing their kids, ruining their relationship with their boss. Ruining a work environment, one word at a time and one attitude at a time. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. (laughs) As a king that's writing this, so I think he's saying that actually you're going to put yourself under the king's authority. But ultimately someone else is going to come up and hit you. Ultimately someone's going to put you in your place. So be careful. Careful with your words. Chapter 18, verse 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. I've already talked about my own folly and shame in giving answers before I listen. Can we listen to each other? I, in the seasons when we're ramped up, civil war is nothing like we, what we experienced as far as risking the country. What we risked in 2020 to 2022 does not compare with the the peril that the country was in in the 1850s. The whole country was on the brink of ending. We weren't there. But we lost a lot of ground as a country in those three years. We hurt our country. We were a bad example for the next generation. And I'm not saying you. So don't come up to me afterwards and say, am I, am I shaming you? I'm not. I'm saying as a country, we mishandled ourselves. And we mishandled these conversations. And I, dare I say as a church, we did as well. Many people give an answer before they hear when they're angry. We must speak knowledge. We must speak peace. We must also speak life. Before I go into the last point, and I would say argue is the most important point, I'm an extrovert. I talk a lot. I talk in most situations. Most people know when I enter a room. Most people know when I enter a conversation. I have a big personality. Even if I don't speak, people know what I'm feeling, and I can't hide it. I wish I could, but I cannot hide how I'm feeling. Which is my argument in my transparency for when I tell you I love you, it's the truth. I am so proud of being part of this church. And I think what I'm talking about is not just what happened in our church, but what happened to us nationally, maybe globally. But is this an argument for being an introvert? 
is this an argument for the people who, like, are some of you going to go home feeling like, yeah, I'm, I rock at this because I don't talk? Or I'm the better person in a marriage because I'm never the one who speaks first. Or I'm slow to speak. I don't think that's at all what we're talking about here. We're not talking about extrovert and introverts. We're talking about using our words wisely. We're talking about making them count. The path of speaking life. And I would even go so far as to say as we move into the path of speaking life that silly words can matter. We sat up front here today and talked about the Three Stooges. Had a blast. Bunch of kids gathered around. And I say healthy church. Why? Because we're laughing and giggling together and having fun and being silly. Silly words are fine. Hateful words are not. The path of speaking life. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and the good. God heard every word we said in our relationships, in our relationship with the world around us, what we put online, what we, God's hearing everything we say. And we love to get people around us that agree with us. And when we have a team that's big enough that agrees with us, then we feel justified in what we think. And I would argue as Christians, as we're looking for wise words, don't care what people think, care what God thinks. God's listening to every word. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He's seeing what you're saying. You may leave that conversation thinking you won. You may leave that conversation thinking you were right and justified in what you did. Please check and see if God agrees with you. Please check and see if God affirms how highly you think of your presentation. Because God is the one who's watching everything that we say and everything that we do. I told you last week that as a people pleaser, I had to learn to say I would rather that God was pleased with me than everybody else in the room. That means the measurement of wise words and helpful words will be decided on my Heavenly Father, not on all of you. Not on the people that I'm talking to. I look at how God treats me and treats others, and I ask myself, am I treating them how God would want me to? Am I talking the way he would talk to me? Do I want God to talk to me the way I'm talking to this person? A gentle tongue is a tree of life. A gentle tongue. Did Jesus have a gentle tongue? Sometimes Mark's doing this. There are times that we see Jesus be harsh. There are times that we see Jesus say the truth in a way that seems really harsh. Most specifically when he speaks in Matthew at the end of his ministry of the Pharisees. You brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. You wash the outside of the cup and ignore the inside. I would argue that Jesus spoke with gentleness and kindness in such a way that he came into a room and into a party where the sinners, can you imagine them? 
The ones that were outcast religiously were gathering together for a party, which means Jesus probably heard dirty jokes, which means he probably heard foul language, and he left that room a friend of sinners. He left them trusting him. It didn't mean that he lowered the bar and said, I'm going to now become evil also. It means that he was among people who were wrong in speech and wrong in attitude, and he did it in such a way that he endeared himself to them and brought them life, and the churches were filled with people that wouldn't fit into other religions because of the gentleness of Jesus. How dare us say that he wasn't gentle? Why would people who were hurt flood to him? Why would we flood to him? Is he not gentle with you and me? Is he not kind? Is he not generous of spirit? How many times I heard people quote Jesus and how he talked to the Pharisees at the end of his career. Don't you know that's because he was defending the weak? And he stood up after every rejection the Pharisees had given him and he said, this far and no farther, I will not let you hurt other people. And he told them the truth publicly. But I heard people Quote that like, yeah, I'm mean to people just because Jesus was too. And now we're talking mean. Man, dude, you missed it, if that's what you're saying. You missed the heart of Jesus and how he cares for people who are lost and hurting. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Perverseness breaks the spirit. If you go around breaking people's spirit and justify it, be careful. Chapter 10, verse 19, many words bring sin. Uh, that helps introverts a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> I've thought about that one a lot. That means extroverts, be careful what you're saying. Introverts, be careful what you're saying. Don't get wrapped up and keep talking. Slow down. Many words bring sin. The righteous ponder how to answer. That requires time. Chapter 15, verse 28. Sorry, I'm not reading the verses. I'm reading my notes. Chapter 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. What I love about that verse is that it requires time to sit and think. If you can't take a moment to think about what's about to come out of your mouth, that would be the part where you shut up. Think. Chapter 27, verse 2, this is a favorite of mine. Let another praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. This actually affected the way that I preach. And I'm going to give a moment, a sidebar, and say what Proverbs are good at. What Proverbs are good at, when you get one that you need, memorize it. Keep it in front of you. I needed this. I was a self-promoter. I was one that wanted people to see that what I'd done and I wanted them to praise it. And if they didn't see it, I'd get frustrated. Why didn't they thank me for doing that? Why didn't they see what I did? This let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips, was healing for me. Shut up, Todd. Don't tell people what you've done. Let other people see it in due time. But it's not your job to self-promote. It's your job to others promote. Romans 10, verses 9 through 10. 
This is the power of words. And note, these words are more powerful than Abraham Lincoln's in the Gettysburg Address. Proverbs 10, 9 through 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There is a thing that we can do with our mouths that affects our eternity. Abraham Lincoln gave a speech that I would argue changed the story of our country and galvanized us to rebuild even though he was shot dead before he had a chance to rebuild. I, I'm a fan of Abraham Lincoln, so I don't know if you know that or not. But his words healed a nation. These words, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart and speaking those words out loud, heal your relationship with God and it's eternal. Words bring life. Not only to us, but to others. Look in Romans 10, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on the name and then you confess your sins, in a moment we're going to be celebrating communion. And if you've done this, if you've called on the name of the Lord and you've been saved, then those words have, have impacted your eternity because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard, and how are they to hear without someone preaching, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The word of God, the, the gospel of God, is offensive to those who don't believe. This is the thing we offend over in the church. This is the core frustration of mine for how we handle ourselves in the church. Would we really want the world to be pro-masks or con-masks and not want to tell them about the, the Jesus who could save their souls? Our primary as a church is not to heal today. Our, promise, our, our primary as a church is to heal people's forevers by their relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what unites us, and what unites us is so much more important than what divides us. Do we all agree? Do you agree with me? I don't need you to. What we gather together for is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what unites us. And that's what the church, we had this unique opportunity when everyone was afraid, and I'm going to speak my heart now. Everyone was scared, and everyone was looking for answers, and this church was as scared as the world was. And I thought among any other time in my lifetime, the church should have been Gathering together and saying, we have the answer for real peace. His name is Jesus Christ. We have the shot that will cure your eternity. Its efficacy is 100%. And oh, how I wish we would have got, gotten together and preached that instead of dividing. All right, I've beaten that horse. I'm going to get off it. All right, we are at uh, <laughs> Hebrews 3.13. This is the last thing I want you to see how our words can bring life. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have a responsibility to each other to spur each other on to love and good deeds, to encourage each other to not let sin take over, to overcome and 
in the body of Christ, our words matter. The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. What are the wounds of a friend? The one that tells him, I'm afraid you're slipping. I'm afraid you're failing. Please come home. Let me help you. The path of speaking wisdom is, uh, is our job. Are we wise? I gave you lots of verses, and again, I don't want you to go home and, and read all the verses. Maybe you will. I want you to latch on to one or two that matter to you. And I want them to become Proverbs for your life. That's what the Proverbs are for. They're done pithy. They're said in a way that they can, you can see it in front of you. Hey, a gentle way, word turns away wrath and how we wanted our kids to see it. Which one of the kids will rise up and give a gentle word in the face of anger? The impact of the Gettysburg Address. I think it's funny that Abraham Lincoln thought it was a so-so speech. He came off and thought, ah, yeah. He said something to a bodyguard that, that led people to believe that he was a little disappointed in his speech. Little did he know he was giving the best speech a president would ever give. A day later, Edward Everett sent a message. And uh, I want to quote what he wrote to Lincoln. I wish I could flatter myself that I came as near to the central idea of the occasion in two hours as you did in two minutes. I wrote out all of the Gettysburg Address. I'd encourage you to read it. It's a part of our national history that is favored highly by me, at least. I'm going to read the last couple sentences. After trying to make sense of all these dead lives, these dead people, the 50,000 laying dead and burying them, we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. I cannot speak to whether the United States will perish from the earth or not. There are many perils against it. But what is our response as a church? The church will not perish from the earth. Jesus said so. We will be carried home into heaven and we will be brothers and sisters forever. It is time for us to speak with wisdom to each other and bring healing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that words matter to you. Even the words I'm saying now. I repent for the ways that I have not used my words well. I repent for the ways that we as Christians in our generation have not represented you the way you would want to represent yourself in this community and in this time. Would you bring healing to the churches? Would you bring healing to our nation? And would you use our words to help it get there? In Jesus' name, amen.